<laughs> Gosh, John, I forget how good you are at karate. That's incredible. I know, man. I mean, it's all about the right belt. It is. Timing you know? or your leather belt. Exactly. I, I feel like maybe, is that not, that's what you meant. Not really, okay. but speaking of, oh, Dave, wow, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to try to transition to okay. save you. <laughs> Finally, Dave, Yeah. warm spring days are arriving. Oh, Am I gosh. right? Isn't it great? You know what? I need a new pair of shades that I don't have to baby. Do you know what I'm saying, John? I don't want to take care of them. Let me put them on, take them off, and not have to worry Look, about it. Hey, Dave, I know exactly Sorry. Sorry, what I didn't you mean. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant. Knock around is the solution. They've been making high-quality shades that don't break the bank okay. since 2005. Oh, wow. And they've actually been my personal go-tos for years. Oh, yeah. I love Knockaround, John. They have over 20 different frame styles, so there's something for everyone, including tons of kids' pairs. That's right. So whether you're looking to rep your favorite sports teams, mm -hmm. you know, like you're a sports guy, mm -hmm. <laughs> spend some relaxation time in the yard, yep. or cruise down Broadway with the windows down oh. like Dave does uh -huh. all the time. All the time. Every Tuesday and Thursday mm -hmm. and Saturday. Mm -hmm. Knock around. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah. All of their lenses have UV 400 protection, which is basically like sunscreen for your eyes, which, by the way, <laughs> I've tried that, and it hurts. <laughs> Use the sunglasses, everybody. With polarized adult pairs starting at 28 bucks. you can get a few pairs to leave in your car, toss in your beach bag, or lend to a friend in need. Dave, that is such a good price I that I might buy a pair just to intentionally lose them. I don't love that logic, John, but I know, you do but have a history of misplacement. It's not around Don't fight me because like of the karate stuff. But it could so. be perfect for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Dadville fans, don't squint through family beach days yeah. or trips to the park. Check out knockaround.com and use the promo code DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order. That's DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order at knockaround.com. Yeah. Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... David Dave. Wow. <laughs> you know I was going to say. So, I'm excited. No, no, you are. I am too. I've been telling everybody, and I mean, well, maybe everybody I know. Everybody so that the means last something. Well, saying. everybody that means something to me, I've told about this. Yeah. This awesome new company called Grip6. I knew you were going to say Grip6. You, you know what? You don't even have to tell me about it. Because oh, I'm okay. using one of their super sleek Grip6 wallets right now. Look, that Look means, I know, we can nerd out about their innovative products. Guess like, what? Like, like their, wallets. their wallets. There you go. Listen, it's the slimmest, most convenient wallet I've ever owned during my time on this earth, Dave. Wow. All, yeah. the, all your time here. The whole time. Okay. You know, speaking of earth, yeah. William Shatner and the Blue Origin team. That was pretty good. Guys. That was good. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Wore one of Grip6's belts all the way into space. Are you serious? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. You, did you know that all of Grip6 products have a futuristic feel? Mm, I do know that. Grip6 utilizes the most quality in their variety of products yep. and guarantees a lifetime warranty oh boy. on all of them, yep. including their belts, wallets, socks, and so much more. And Grip6 makes everything wear, John. In the U.S. of A. That's right. Born That's right. In the US Grip6's antibacterial, antimicrobial, and wow. moisture-wicking socks are not only made in America, Dave, Grip6 sources the wool right here in the land of the free and the home of the brave, Dave. 
brave, Dave. You know, it's funny, John. People haven't called me that since uh, middle school soccer. <laughs> and I didn't even play middle school soccer. You know, I've been told that all that fancy Grip 6 sock technology prevents wow. your feet from getting sweaty or guess what else? Stinky. Yep. And guess yep. what socks I'm wearing right now as I'm doing this? Grip 6. You got guess it. Guess what socks I'm wearing right now? Grip 6. On both uh, feet. Oh, my God. They put all that fancy Grip 6 technology to use in all their products, too. Not just their socks, Dave. Did you know that their belts use special Grip 6 friction locking Ooh, technology that yes. makes your belt stay tight all, all day. day long? All day. But it's still micro-adjustable for maximum comfort. I appreciate that. All these super useful and utilitarian products make a great gift for husbands, dads, and sons in your life. That's right. Visit Grip6.com. That's G-R-I-P-6.com today to shop socks, wallets, and much more. Folks, we're back. Uh, welcome to Dadville. This, this, is, um, this is becoming one of my favorite things. Yes, me too. Right? Yeah. The 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 Q&A with the master with the master blaster disaster. I don't know where I'm going with that. It's all rhymes. I'm a songwriter. Um so we have David Thomas back with us. Um DT, are you with me? And uh what we're doing, which has been really fun. This is this is uh episode 2 of Q&A. So we asked we asked our friends, our listeners to send in any Q and A, any well, actually, just Qs. You're the A, uh, but that sounded bad. Um, we should we should be asking for answers. We should <laughs> maybe that's what Why we're doing we just, wrong. Yeah. I also love that we've done a couple Q and As. Oh gosh. Just us. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Now that we actually have a professional. I'm here. realizing there's a lot of braggadociousness. Yeah. In that Bra- braggadociousity. Yes, it is. Braggadoci. That's plural. (laughs) That's two people. That's me and you being braggadocious. But David is back with us. We did. uh, This is you're the. This is the first. Yes. Third. This is the first third. Second Q and A. First third. Yes. That's right. You're breaking all kind of records here in Dadville. All kinds of trophies. You're now officially living in the really nice house in the hill in Dadville. (laughs) You're the first like resident. (laughs) No, you're you're the first resident that has another residence. (laughs) In Dadville. <laughs> you got a rental home. Congrats. <laughs> you're the only one that you're should have first, a rental home. In you're Dadville. the first Dadville slumlord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Honored to carry that Honored. title. Let me tell you, oh, when man. I think of David Thomas, slumlord, slumlord. is quickly, <laughs> yeah. it's quickly following up after I think that. Glasses, degrees, yeah. slumlord. So, so, uh, by now, I'm sure everybody knows uh, David, but I, I, we do like just kind of making sure you, you know what's going on with him. I have all this memorized at this point. Um, David graduated from UT School of Social Work. That's Tennessee. What a disaster that football game was this weekend. Mm. Jeez Louise. That's not do even we need to talk there. about the psychology of that? Because I'm sure you could wax poetic on that for a minute. Uh, has, and has been building into boys ever since. He has been vital in the training in training the boys staff for the last 20 plus years as he came alongside Melissa and Sissy and Growing Daystar. And today, he directs uh, the family counseling program, supervises the boys' staff, and leads groups. He's the author of seven books. Seven. Seven. Jesus, that's a lot of books. Contributor to the Raising Boys and Girls blog and has become a sought-after speaker on nurturing boys as he travels the country speaking during the year. He's raising a daughter, twin boys, and a feisty yellow lab of his own. Which is you, isn't it? If we're it being is. honest, yeah, it you is. call it a lab, but it's really just you. <laughs> uh, David counsels boys of all ages with his pup Owen at his side, and also the podcast, which we got to 
give a shout out to that y'all have, which is so which is just called is it called raising boys and girls? It is. Yeah, which is really wonderfully helpful, and I think is an incredible. We don't want to lose listeners now. That said, let it be. It would be more worth your time. It will be not for this episode, but. It, pretty much any other episode. It's been, thank you for listening so yeah. far. We've really had a good run. and we <laughs> Check out our merch store on your way out. <laughs> yeah. oh, and, or rent David's other house that he owns here in, in Dadville. Um, so, so, David, it's so good to have you back. We're always so thrilled. Because, again, you really are professional. These are fun. And I think what so many of our guests were specifically excited because you were answering these questions, by the way. Yeah. I was really encouraged to see how much people weren't just like oh cool a professional here's a question i have like so many people of them said oh my gosh we love david would you ask him this so yeah. to encourage you and your plight and what you, you guys are doing which is so powerful and so wonderfully helpful and specific and so in fact I, yeah. I feel like so many times here in nashville anytime your name comes up i'm dogging it but then immediately other people will say nice things which sort of puts me off because i'm trying to really drag it through the mud but it is crazy <laughs> how many people y'all have helped i mean it's it's yeah. really really crazy in nashville and i know everywhere but how many people i talk to that have kids or have seen you when they were kids mm. which is you know for being 35 i 36. started when i was six <laughs> you, <laughs> you were the doogie hauser <laughs> around the child psychology world yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> When's that TV show coming out? <laughs> Who's going to play you? Working on the pilot as we speak. Yep, yep. So we're we're gonna we're just coming in hot, Dave. We're gonna pick right Let's up because we got more questions. Uh, we had to cut the last one off because literally so many people sent in questions. We realized you were kind enough to acquiesce. Like we're gonna do two episodes. We can kind of get to them. So uh, here's the next one. First of all, hey Dave, and that's got three no four exclamation four, points. Yeah. So they know they know you're coming in. My question for the podcast is how to get my soon-to-be 13-year-old son to tell us stuff. Mm. <laughs> I just love that as, a, as just anything. Of course, he knows he can tell us anything but this age, and then a couple of emojis of, like, the laughing, hard, and crazy face. Um, and your new album is awesome. Um, I had to stick that. I, I wasn't even going to read that, but she put it, so I just <clears throat> read that. Anyway, um, I couldn't, in, in, uh, inquiring minds, including mine, want to know this question. I mean, that's – how do you get your, your – kids to talk especially here it looks like her son or his son 13 year old son how do you get them to talk i get a version of this question in my office not just every week probably every day really about mm -hmm. a boy yeah and so i am hurting with a parent who asked this and uh -huh. and the challenge i think of getting access to a boy's internal world is a, a great challenge. And I would even argue, I think it could be true of adolescents in general. I know a lot of parents of girls who would say it's harder to get her to talk in, in, those, in that stretch of development. And so first would say it's really normal. It's really mm -hmm. normal. It's not necessarily evidence of you're doing something wrong, but mm -hmm. that is just a season of development where kids are as insecure as unsteady, as uncomfortable in their own skin as in any stretch of development. And so they're living in the midst of a biological tsunami, a <laughs> lot of relational complexity, emotional intensity, yeah, yeah. like all these complicated ingredients that I think just can make kids go inward more and, mm. and can become a challenge because parents, you know, want to support their kids. They want to get access. So right. I would say first thought beyond its normal is – Look for how to be unpredictable. Two of my colleagues, oh, wow. Melissa and Sissy, uh, wrote an amazing book years ago called The Back Door to Your Teen's Heart. And the first sentence of that book is my favorite sentence. It says, to the degree that kids can predict you, they'll dismiss you. Wow. 
Jeez. Man, can we stop? And just I know. I get no credit for those words, but I love them to the degree that kids can predict you, they'll dismiss you. And so what does it look like in that season to be unpredictable? Yeah. So classic example, kids get in the car, pick up, and like, how was your day? Yeah, same question. Anything stand out to you? We're asking questions. They're giving little. We keep going. Mm-hmm. You know, I would challenge a parent in that moment to remember that I think kids have expended so much emotional mm. and relational energy in that day. Yes. In that space in particular, like think about what I just said is going on developmentally. Like mm. it's exhausting to yeah. live in that. And so I think it's great when you meet kids in that space and say, I can't imagine how tired you are mm-hmm. physically and emotionally. Like, would you love to just ride home and listen to music? Yeah. Here I'm passing yeah. my phone back, pick what you want to hear. And so thinking about mm. being unpredictable in the smallest of right. ways one, I think, to honor where they are. And then secondly, to even ask the question like, hey, I'd love to check in. When's the best time for you? I wow. think that's such an honoring question to ask adolescents. Wow. Like, would you love to just go home, eat a snack, listen to more music, watch a show, go outside, whatever it may be, and then let's talk at dinner. So let's talk at bedtime. We put a ton of, of um, uh, pressure on that car ride home. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Sorry, what were we going to say to um, I was going to say exactly that. No, you know, th- th- I wanted to say to your point, because I think something that, that w- will be and is already a little bit of a struggle of mine now with our oldest, who's nine, um, is th- I can't imagine how, especially at that age, so add, <clears throat> you know, four years, it's probably really easy to believe that they don't want that connection because that's how they're acting. Yeah. But I would assume, yeah. obviously, that's not the case, right? So, so, yes. so some of the encouragement, I think, in this moment is for those parents who are sitting in the car going, well, well, I'm trying. He doesn't care. Yeah. It's not that, correct? It's more about how to find a place where you can, because he loves and still wants to be connected to his parent. Absolutely. But it's just, it's, it just looks different in this season, right? Absolutely. And if I were to go even deeper into what's going on developmentally, you know, I would say kids are in a really complicated identity formation stage. And so they're figuring out, that's just fancy language for they're figuring out more of who they are, finding their voice. And in the midst of doing that, part of finding my voice and my personhood means I've got to separate out mm-hmm. from you as parents, right. figure out, okay, what's yours and what's mine? What do I believe that maybe is different than what you believe? And all of that is going on, which takes up a lot of mental real estate as well. Yeah. And when that's happening, um, I think parents can feel this real strong sense of you don't need me, you don't want me. And we talk a lot about how behind every hand that you know is held out with the motion of move away from me is another one that's saying come close to me and i think that's the dance of adolescence a lot of times it's like come close to me get away from me come close to me get away from me i need my space i need you to listen and yeah learning to dance that you know out with kids is a part i think of that complicated stretch of development and looking for back to the unpredictability if that's going on, you know, that forced conversation, which I think for a lot of kids feels like an interrogation, not a conversation. Right. Like you're just bombarding me with questions. Yeah. Look for where you could talk, I say, more side to side mm. than eye to eye. Mm. And, you know, the unpredictability might be while he's outside after school, exhausted and shooting hoops, go out and bring him a smoothie and then retrieve the ball. Mm. And watch for where kids sometimes are talking when they're not aware that they need to. Yeah. Mm. And how some of the best conversations I have, I think, happen in that way. Like, hey, I need to walk the dog. Will you go with me? You want to go? And then they're not even aware that they're talking. Like, we're just walking the dog. And then 
listen for what comes out, chase that, follow the crumbs, wow. they're dropping. But that's some of, of what I think the unpredictability could look like. You know, if you're driving home and I think about adolescent girls, like they love <coughs> coffee. Like that's a real cool thing, you know, to say yeah. like, hey, you know what, we're out of coffee. Let's stop. Let's stop at um, Eighth and Roast and grab some. And then, you know what, let's sit down for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And it, they're not aware they're supposed to be talking. It's just like we kind of fell into this moment. That's great. That's some of, of what I think the unpredictability could look like that could bring about a different kind of conversation. That's interesting. It's almost like the, the um, I was thinking a couple of things while you were talking. I was thinking, isn't it crazy that, oh, like when I was growing up, it, we were in elementary school until sixth grade. And then in seventh grade, you go to junior high. So seventh and eighth grade for us, was you went to this bigger school, it's, it was way bigger, and you're changing classes, you got a bunch of different teachers, you got, and I was thinking, why do we do that to kids at that time? It seems like, it seems like a, uh, like, they're going through all that biological stuff that you were just talking about, and then we also make kids go through every other possible change, seemingly, like, hey, we're going to throw everything else at you. I mean, seventh grade for me, was my toughest year. My mom was actually visiting uh, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about this. And and I would say to this parent and any other parent listening, like I love my parents. Always had a great relationship with them. But seventh grade was still like I was the stereotypical kind of like you know thirteen year old boy who would like come home, go straight up to his room, close the door. Like there's just so much coming at us. Yes. Mm. But it's good for, for me to hear you say that like we often don't really put ourselves in our kids' shoes. At three o'clock when I pick my girls up, I'm not really, I think my wife actually, in fairness, is better at this than I am. But I'm almost, I'm doing it for my kids, but I'm also kind of selfishly thinking like, I want to connect with them right now. I'm not really thinking, hmm. they're exhausted. Yes. They, and, and any form of conversation that we're going to have on this car ride is going to be like dad is razor focused on me and that feels like like you're saying an interrogation yes. more so than a conversation yeah. you know so i love the the triangulation of something else seems seems really uh really useful that's great and the unpredictability man what great advice uh do you find that that's the same I mean, this question was about a, a 13 year old boy is it the same boys and girls, that sort of triangulation rule? The one thing that I would say is different is, you know, as I mentioned, that identity formation piece, there is an extra layer that exists in that um, separating out with parents for boys with their moms and girls with their dads. Hmm. So it's kind of that opposite gendered relationship. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to moms, I say, you know, as he is in that space, developmentally as he should be, moving toward all things masculine, you may feel a little extra separation mm. in that space. It doesn't mean he needs you less. It just means the relationship is evolving. And I think the same is true for dads and daughters. And, you know, we can laugh about this. One of the things that happens for girls in that space is, you know, this little girl who would run to the door and just, you know, for years and years and years grab hold of you, count down until you came home from work, all of a sudden... Uh, can become kind of awkward in your presence. Mm-hmm. And 
what happens is that it, it is the first time she has come to terms with the fact that you are a boy and boys are the creature in this world she feels the most awkward around. So it's this sense of, you know, like this little girl who used to just embrace you and hug you tightly feels awkward hugging you. And there's, there's part of what her little body is developing. It feels weird to, like, press up against another guy in that way. And she's just coming to terms with that reality in ways that she hasn't before and can make her, like, side hug you awkwardly yeah. and seem and look really uncomfortable. And, again, I, I love talking about that as hard as I think that is for dads to hear because we can go to a place of thinking, what am I doing wrong? Like, we were so connected, and now you seem – stilted and awkward with me and it's like it's a lot what's going on with her developmentally yeah. and I think in that moment dads don't often pursue as strongly because they're hmm. sitting with this message of she doesn't need me as much yeah. she doesn't seem to want right. me around and, and it is the opposite well it's right. not fun being rejected no. you know it's just not yeah. fun being on the no on that end of that. well I I feel like as you're talking like in these scenarios like in the ride home in in that situation where She's starting to hug you a little awkwardly and, and doesn't want to be around. It's like I can find that y that you're what you're trying to avoid. You're trying to connect, but you're also trying to avoid confrontation or fighting at all costs, which I could see. I think maybe this is just a, a side question that I'm having in this moment is, is that a good rule? seems like that's maybe not a good rule to avoid confrontation with your kid during those times when it seems like maybe all the only interactions you're having are confrontational, right? You know, what would be like a more nuanced, like better version of that? Well, I think if you were to go back to what we talked about a little bit earlier of understanding that as they're finding their own voice and becoming their own person, part of that conflict is they're working that through. Yeah. So you're vital to that happening. You're There's vital. There's good confrontation. Absolutely. And bad and Absolutely. unnecessary competition. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and listen for, I would challenge parents listening, just listen for where you can find evidence of that. Like, it fascinates me all the ways that parents report that happening with kids. Often, not always, but often, it'll be about an area that you're really passionate about. So if there's something in particular you're really passionate about, if it's faith, if it's politics, if it's, you know, any number of things, watch for where kids might camp out in that space and say ridiculous things. Like, you know, I think about every election, I'll hear some parent, you know, who's strongly one side say, my kids have announced they are the <laughs> other. You know, campaigning or, for the yes, other candidate. putting bumper stickers <laughs> on their backpacks and you know, all this stuff. And, and it just triggers them right and left. And I, yeah. I'd always want to challenge parents to go back to this part of the conversation and say, I wonder if that may be about something else, something really important going on developmentally. And if you could ride that out um, with less back and forth, acknowledging, okay, here's what I think is probably happening, and yeah. ask better questions. Okay, well, clearly you and I are for different candidates. So tell me more about uh -huh. why you love this candidate. Right. What about their platform are you really interested in and passionate about, like listening? Now, I think a lot of times kids can't even articulate <laughs> a lot right. of that because – they may not have done a lot of exploration. They may have, right. but they may not. And it's just about, I kind of want to land on the opposite side of the fence of you because I'm trying to find my own yeah, voice. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So listen for that. That's great. But I think I've known some adolescents who throw out some zingers. Like, oh, yeah. I've decided I'm not a Christian anymore for parents who are deeply passionate about their faith. Yeah. And that could just send them through the roof. It's hard to hear. But I think if you if 
if you align yourself with what's going on developmentally, it really could change how you engage in those moments. Mm. Yeah. Allow you to ask better questions, have less emotion around those conversations. And even to our point, you you know, saying to yourself, even in some of the hardest moments, like, I serve a purpose because mm-hmm. kids don't feel the safety to work all that out in the world with teachers and coaches and other adults that they don't have that much connection relationship they feel that safety if they're really connected with parents so you're the very sounding board they need yeah 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 and i think about that a lot Uh, my wife points that out sometimes with our girls that they are very well behaved at school they are great at school Mm -hmm. that we don't have an issue with that thankfully but when they get in the car sometimes you know they're exhausted and like you're saying they, I could just see it as like they're just being difficult, you know, from three, three p.m. till you know midnight when they go to sleep. I'm just kidding; they go to sleep at seven. But um, you know, it's just difficult. But it, but it can be reframed as a good thing. Like they're they feel safe. I'm really to safe. work some of these. Yes. Where do I stand with authority? Kind of things out with us. And I would even say, lastly, to that, it's it's been my experience that kids who don't feel safe in relationship with their parents. So I'm working with a family right now, and, and the dad within this family is struggling through addiction, and he's very unpredictable. And I have observed how much they're working out on their mom and how little they're working through with him because I think he doesn't feel safe. He's very unpredictable. So it's like, I don't know what I'm going to get with you, so I'm going to turn this that energy toward, toward that safe parent. Absolutely. So there's the upside. That doesn't make it feel better in the moment. Yeah, but saying like, I'm obviously safe enough that they're Mm. working some things through. That's great. Now, with that, I would only add to that, that's not giving kids permission to cross lines of disrespect and using, you know, I talk a lot about, it's one thing to be a sounding board. It's another to be a verbal punching bag. And the second is not helpful. The first is helpful to be a safe sounding board where kids can work things through. But that's not, I don't want anyone to hear me say it's giving kids a permission slip to treat you however they want to treat you in that safety. But it's just acknowledging, okay, that's a lot of what's going on. And how could I even teach respect? You know, Mm -hmm. how do you engage in conflict in a way that's respectful? How can Mm -hmm. I model civility for my kids? Goodness knows there aren't enough opportunities in this moment in time for kids to see that. Amen. All right, next question. How do you encourage a child to eat when they won't because they're stuck in an authority battle? Mm. Also, John, love your music. Every song you release is absolutely insane. Your <laughs> lyrics are so thought-provoking. <laughs> and I when's your next album coming out? <coughs> they maybe didn't write all that. Should we start that, there? That's, that's what <laughs> I saw. <laughs> should we start should there? Should we start there with your next record? <laughs> Let's just focus on the second <laughs> half of that. <laughs> God. I would say two things to that. I would They'll say eventually get hungry enough to eat. They will. They absolutely will. And I would say along those lines, be very careful, particularly with food, that that doesn't become a, a battleground of conflict. Wow. Um, because as we all know, you know, disordered eating is incredibly mm-hmm. common in our world and and with boys and girls, girls in particular. And so I would challenge every parent to be very careful because most pediatricians would say that. Like, it's fascinating how long kids could actually go on only water, all of us as people. So (laughs) to wait some of that out is not a bad thing Uh to do in in terms of not letting that become a battleground. And I would also challenge 
parents to, to consider where that may have become an arena of control for kids who feel out of control in some other space. Hmm. So, you know, toddler age kids, for example, will camp out in a lot of different spaces, but primarily two when they feel really out of control. So that's often an indicator, early indicator of kids might be struggling with some early anxiety is when they're camping out strongly trying to control food or yeah. kids who I've done a lot of consultations with parents of kids who are looking successful in their journey toward toilet training and then turn and went right back the opposite direction and it felt even more exaggerated and parents would say to me like I feel like they're even looking at me sometimes while they're <laughs> going in their pants you know this sense of I feel like they're trying to communicate something and I would listen for that there's a great chance they are and they understand there are a lot of things in this world that are outside of my control as a toddler but what I put in my mouth and what comes out my body, I have some control over. And they start to figure that out early on. And so I would look for in that possibility first. Is, is it, could it be that there's an underlying and an undercurrent of excessive worry and anxiety in the mix and they're camping out in this space? Because there's always a power and control phenomenon at play with anxiety to the degree mm -hmm. that I feel out of control internally. I'm going to try to manage something externally. People, outcomes, circumstances expectations any number wow. of things so i would just leave the door open it may not that may not be the case but it very well could be the case yeah. hmm. hey dave dave john jeez yeah. okay <laughs> hey Sorry. earlier in the episode you know remember we were talking about this amazing company called grip six yeah you know they have so much to offer that we needed more time to discuss their innovative and groundbreaking products john. like Give my us more super time. slick grip six wallet that yeah. i mentioned yep. not long ago yep. You bragged about Did that. Did you know that they're built with space-grade aluminum? Wow. That is, to me, two words. Guess what they are? Super slick. slick. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> Get out of my brain butter. Get out of there. You mean to say that it won't poke holes in the back pocket of my jeans like my bulky trifold wallet? It absolutely will not, Dave. Grip6 uh. wallets are wonderfully slim and low profile. They're less than half an inch thin. Jesus. That's about as thin as the common smartphone. Oh, my gosh. That is incredible, John. And they lock your cards in place and safely secure your information with RFID blocking. Is that true? That is true. True or false? It's true. Okay. It couldn't be less false. Okay. <laughs> I think Grip6 has unlocked the secret to time travel Ooh. and brought these wallets, amongst other things, back from the future, Dave. What Do you think they... I just want to know what other things they've from the future because I have a lot of questions but you know what I do like it sure seems like it John it seems like when I look at their products I'm like some fancy future man or woman or collective made these things I don't right. understand it's crazy right. like the classic grip six ninja belt in black come on it even comes with interchangeable buckles and straps in a variety of colors and styles that will suit just about anyone you know what and just like every single one of grip six's products their wallets and belts are all made right here in the us of a mm -hmm. what and they come with a lifetime guarantee John. that's insane visit grip6.com today to shop these awesome wallets belts socks and more um, okay, this this one is one that um, is interesting. One, John and I were talking about this today, and then we were talking to some other friends last week about this exact same question. And I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on this. So the, uh, the uh, question is this. My wife and I have essentially mixed the idea of sleepovers for our kids, ages 9, 7, 5, 1. Our older kids have asked about them with neighborhood kids. 
um, and friends from church, but we are hesitant to allow any, even at our house, because they led to temptation and poor decisions when I was younger. Am I being too harsh? Is there a way to be both wise and fun in this arena? And I think, you know, something that's been, John and I were talking about this literally minutes before you got here. Um, you know, I look at our generation of parents that are parents now, you know, like our age of parents, and it that is not as much of a thing. I feel like when growing up, that was like, I mean, I... Sleepovers every weekend. Well, and, and I can't even remember... Andy and I were talking about how I don't even remember how old I was the first time it happened, but I was I was young. I remember mm-hmm. like, you know, first grade, maybe yeah, probably been around first grade that I was mm-hmm. going over and you know, and um, but gosh, I just feel like these days you just don't see that much, and I I actually get that. I'm I'm probably more on the side of what this person is asking, but where do you, like how do, how do you speak to that? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think you're exactly right. Like, it's it's a different day and time. Yeah. And I know a lot of adults who'd say the same thing. Like, we did a ton of that, and I don't feel great about it as a parent yeah. myself. And uh, there's a lot, I think, to say to that. You know, I grew up in a really small town, and so I would imagine my parents felt so different about it with the fact that, you know, all the people I live in close proximity to, we went to school together. We yeah. went to church together. We played on the same sports team. So there was a lot of overlap same. and relationship and connection, and that's not – as much the case, particularly if you live in a larger city, it may yeah. be different. So it's fine to want to have more connection and relationship with other families before you move into that space of wanting to experiment with overnights. I think that's fine and appropriate. And even a great rule of thumb for down the road when our kids are adolescents, it's like, I really want to know the families who are hosting the party where yeah. my kids are going to go for after homecoming type thing. Like that's just a good rule of thumb to have relationship connection great dialogue where you all can see are we on the same page are we operating out of the same book and 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 I would back up only to say this and and follow up to that I do think it's so important I love the way that question was asked where there was that acknowledgement of because what happened when I was growing up and I would pay attention to that in in two ways one I think sometimes we talked a little about this last time we're operating so out of our own experience Mm -hmm. that we could be standing in the way of some opportunity for growth for our kids that's more connected to work I need to do yeah, than right. it is a true barrier for my kids. So right. I would attend to that, you know, pay attention to that and have trusted folks around you that you could ask that question. Is there a chance that I'm more afraid of this out of my own story than I need to be for my kids in this right. moment? Um, secondly, I would say where I do think it is good practice for kids to have opportunities to be away from parents whether it's for an evening with a babysitter or overnight to have that practice if eventually they're going to be going to spend the night camp which can be a great context for growth I do think it's important to try to find some safe adults where they can practice with Mm -hmm. that whether it's grandparents Grandparents, aunts and uncles you know some extended family or close relationships I know families who live in you know long distance from their parents and in-laws but have what they might call adoptive parents through their church that are like grandparents who've already raised kids and grandkids who are like we'd love to be that for you guys if you want it who they're the practice context so I think there's a lot of ways to find that or seek that out but I do think that's important practice that's a part of kids building independence autonomy and a sense of courage being away from parents that I can do that so that you know so many schools have now moved toward overnight trips that start sometimes in fourth or fifth grade Mm -hmm. and we want them by the time they reach that point to have had at least enough practice that they 
could be successful in that learning experience and the barrier of being away overnight from mom and dad isn't such that they can't get all they need from that opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that, that I mean, I'm, I'm saying the most obvious thing, and I'm coming in really hot here, but it, it almost feels, I know this is pretty extreme, but devices, you know, phones, anything that can get you on the Internet, to me, almost feels like literally a loaded pistol. Mm. So I tend to think of it like it has nothing to do with how much I trust the parents. It's how many pistols are there laying around the house, literally. Like... That are just that's just a computer that is a wonderful thing that they have no idea they have no means or want to get on and see anything they don't know, but the minute you click to see a cool basketball video, something in the bottom pops up and little curious brains click on it and then before you so, and and then the gun's gone off in a way yeah. you know what I'm saying and so I think for me it's such a different age and time because if you took just devices out, literally I would feel. I mean, of a tenth as nervous as I am, but I think because and so that's that's the X factor for me is that you can know parents and love these parents, you know, but know that, man, it has nothing to do with how great it can just be. The dad forgot and put his phone in the kitchen. The kids like, hey, let's watch that video for the thing, and all of a sudden, because I think especially as boys, John, I were talking about this too, especially for boys, I think. You can see something at an age that forever changes your trajectory for how you think about that, you know, especially dealing with, you know, pornography or even nothing to that extreme, just a woman in a bathing suit or whatever that sets a little brain that had no context for that yet on a crazy. And I mean, you know, there are so many people that know that story. I mean, I think I feel like maybe every boy that I know had some moment where you went to a friend's house and saw yes. something that you didn't mean to see. Yes. You had no interest in seeing, right. but it unlocks a little thing in your brain that for now is it's Pandora's box. It doesn't yes. close again. And what's crazy is that that was exactly my story when I was about five, six years old. And I can still recall some of those things that I saw yeah. 33 yeah. years ago, yeah. you know, and I think that that's the piece that's the most nerve-wracking to me. Of that has course. no has nothing to do with the intent of the parents you're sending them yeah. to. Right. It just takes one little moment where the the boys are up in a or the girls too, whatever. You know, they're yeah. up in a room and they see that there's a computer and they get on to watch a Teletubbies video. Who knows? Yes. But and so I think that's the piece that gets me the most. So it's almost like, hey, if you can promise me you unplug everything or put them in a room, then man, y'all go have fun. But it's just this feeling of like. There's just going to be pistols laying around that are always loaded that a kid's all he's got to do is grab it, and then it changes everything. You well, know? when you drop your kids off, just walk around the house and clip the Wi-Fi, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that could be kind of a You've fun always rule. been such a great problem solver, and it explains how, why Next ours yes. we're always having Comcast out. <laughs> yes. Always. Makes so yeah. much sense now. Yeah. yeah. Can, I, can I say please, that? Please. I think that is when I talked about, you know, talking with other parents to make sure we're operating out of the same book. That should be in the top three things every family discusses when you have kids at your house, whether it's overnight or not. Like, I think that's such an important. I even challenge parents, offer your rules around that before parents have to ask. Like, hey, just to let you know, that's that's what I would always say before your kids come. There'll be no devices on the second floor of this house. You know, like wow. just some basic things. That's great. I know you all, I'm working with a family right now, and the mom is amazing. When she has adolescents, we're not talking about littles, adolescents, 16-year-olds at her house, they walk in the door. They know the second you cross the threshold of the door, 
she'll be holding a basket. Everybody dumps their technology. Oh, I love that. That's her rule of thumb. And that may not be yours, but she (laughs) does. There's no posting coming out of this house. Like, you're going to have real conversations. She even makes fun of herself. Like, she will walk around with a basket and say, little house on the prairie, little house on the prairie. You know, like, (laughs) as she's doing, like, we're about to turn this place into (laughs) 1910 all over again. Absolutely. She'll call herself Ma Ingalls. And I love that she is so playful in that and that these kids know. That's how it's going to work when we walk in the door. Man. She'll be hilarious. This is what she'll say. She'll serve great food. We'll all grunt and groan on the front side, and then we'll have a great time Oh, I guarantee you. I guarantee yeah. you they leave that house going. That, that is always so much fun. Yes. That's so great. Yes. So I, I would think on any parent listening, like, go ahead and think on what you want that to be at your house so that you could offer that up on the front side of the conversation to other parents, and they know. So they don't have to ask. That's Absolutely. Great. That's, That's how great. it'll work. Yep. All right, next question. David Thomas, in all caps, what a guy. Look at this. I'm quoting him. Fan club here. All right. These people love you. <laughs> what What advice do you have uh, for when our young children are taught or told something that differs from what our family believes or teaches? How do we engage in meaningful conversation without defaulting to the easy or dismissive responses like, well, our family believes or simply that person is wrong? Mm. Uh, don't... The, doesn't seem to really address why or leave room for children to form their own opinions or experiences. I'd consider starting with the words, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Um, Which I think does two things. One, I think it communicates something we want to be about. You know, we're going to see things different. That will be our ongoing experience in the world of being in relationship with people who see things differently. And that's okay. The, the end goal is not that we all think exactly alike. Right. And I think the second thing that accomplishes is it allows us to attend to our emotion with whatever's going to come next. Like it's like, okay, those words could set the temperature inside of me and be mm. a great reminder for myself of whatever I say next. I'd love to be strongly connected to those words. And yeah. so I think there is something, whether it's, you know, again, about faith, about politics, all those things of our kids benefiting from hearing, you know, the message of there will always be people who think differently, see the world differently. And what does it look like to stay rooted in what we believe to be true as a family to honor and respect their difference in opinion that we could, you know, again, I just think kids are, they have so few opportunities to sit front row to what that looks like in an honoring way. And holding uh, it, yes. hold that space, yeah. And I don't think we could create enough opportunities. And then I would go a step further in doing some role play. We talk a lot about how role play is an experiential tool that helps kids make connections better, more effectively. Like, let's practice. When you go back to school tomorrow, if you want to understand more of what your friend um believes is thinking those sorts of things or if you'd like to speak more to what's important to you and then we practice that conversation flip the roles okay you be you i'll be your friend tell me how you'd like to say it all right let's flip you be your friend and i'll be you yeah. wow. and then test drive a lot of different ways that could go down so that they feel more prepared in that exchange i think the mistake we make is we do a lot of coaching or assigning yeah. a script to kids that I don't think they necessarily can remember or hold on to, or maybe more about how I would execute the conversation, less how they would. So 
helping them find their way to how they would want to have that conversation, I think is so important. This feels yeah. like one of those really precarious examples where I would assume maybe as much as 80% of the time, the parent is inferring a lot of their own <laughs> information and experience yes. onto their child. Yes. We had a conversation with our friends this weekend where in Atlanta and their kids go to a school where there's some things being taught that they don't agree with. And it was so encouraging to hear how they do that with their boys because their boys are a little older. And it's such an open dialogue. The parents don't feel threatened. It's not something they agree with, but they're not coming at it with this energy of like, you need to go back with the exact amount yes. of energy that they're yeah. giving you. Yes. It's, how did you feel? Well, how can we talk about that? Well, here's what we believe, and let me tell you why we believe that, and how can we help you navigate it? It's a lot less sort of like take this spear back in and yes. just start chucking it at everybody <laughs> that disagrees with you. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's it, it's that I was so encouraged by their stance on that because I think I can easily start putting my story into that mm -hmm. and start going, mm -hmm. you got to be strong and stand up against the opposition. So it's really encouraging to hear you say it that way, you know. The That's way the the first thing you said was was really insightful and great because I think that like your first reaction being like, "Huh, that's okay." Just just I think that that's great cuz I want to show our kids that, but but that also is how I want to be. Yeah. You know. And in that moment I can I can tend to be like, "Okay, what is the thing?" <laughs> What is the where do the McLaughlin stand on this, and how do I coach it to my kid right now? Like, you know, it almost you almost get in a combative uh, like stance, which is not how I want to yeah live life no. through the world, you know, and, and definitely not how I want to pass that on to, to my kids. And at the end of the day, you know, you're never gonna you're just gonna have to live your life mm -hmm. in a world with seven billion other people i I, you know? I think too and, and i mean david you can speak to this with much more wisdom than i can but one of the conversations we had with these friends this weekend was I, I think if there's any silver lining to how much the world is changing especially for our kids that is going to be normal to them mm -hmm. and i think yeah. there's a huge dissonance i think in our generation and theirs because there are just so many new things that these children are going to have to think about on a daily basis in a culture that's changed drastically. Now, people haven't changed, but the way that we're thinking about things has changed. And so I think where I sit and I go, they're what? They said they're, they're teaching what? They're not teaching what? Whatever. The, you know, my kids are going to be like, no, actually, I'm sort of you. That, this is, I know how to navigate this because this is what I've, I'm growing up in. So it's such a different dynamic because I'm, again, this is my story. I'm in, I'm putting into them going, well, this is how I, and it's like, well, that's not their world. It's a wildly different world. Yes. And so the good news is they're going to have tools to deal with that just naturally. It's yeah. not going to be so shocking where to me, you know, I feel like every other day I learn something. I'm like, oh, they what? You sure. know, and I just don't think that's going to be, now it's going to have their challenges for sure that probably we didn't have. But I do think they're going to have a set of skills and ability to understand and be less shocked, just less like, oh, you know, because it's like that's what they're growing up in. Yes. And so there is a skill set that comes with that that I think we don't have. I don't have, right. to be honest with you. So there's even things to learn, I think, from our kids. Oh, that, yes. You know, this this seems like a dumb question, but do in the 20 years that you've been doing this, do you feel like kids are dealing with more as kids? Than they than they were when you started, a hundred percent. Yeah, 
I do. And, and it's fascinating all the ways I see evidence of that. And I think obviously as we were just discussing the animal of technology has right. complicated the game for all kids, adolescents, and parents, no question about that. But I see it in so many other areas as well. Like when I think back on when I started doing this work, I really don't remember ever having a conversation with an adolescent who was scared that who was a decent student, an average student, was scared that they wouldn't get into college. Yeah, like they're like, I'll mm. get in somewhere. I'll apply to a bunch of places. Weekly, I have conversations with adolescents who are terrified they may not get into college. You mm. know, because game has become so competitive, and so that's another area where it's mm. like it breaks my heart. Like, yeah. I was an average student. I never gave one minute's thought to that some school's going to take me. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't know exactly where, but some school will take I me. I mean, that to me was like, you know, senior year you start thinking about that. Yes. Right? They start thinking so early, and they have so much fear around that. And so that's another area where it's just, it breaks my heart, the pressure that kids experience, yeah. I think, in, in this day and age in a lot of different ways yeah. um, that – wasn't the case for us growing up. Yeah, that's Man. interesting. Because it, it definitely seems that way. But I, you know, I always think like, man, it seems like the world is crazy right now. But is this, is this just our version of craziness? Yeah. You know, I always think about like the 1960s, like living through the 60s would be insane. You know, the, all, all the stuff that was happening. But yeah, so it's true, you would say. I would. Yeah. And I would, I would only add to that to any parent listening, avoid the temptation to say things like, you know, I was a kid once too, or I was a teenager. I know what that's like. Mm. You know, that's true. We were teenagers. We don't know what it's like to be a teenager in this moment. So I I would challenge any parent, like, I don't think that's a helpful statement. I think it's helpful. Right. Back to questions. Like, I have no idea what it's like to be a 15-year-old guy right now. Like, what in the world is that like? I have no idea what it's like to face the stuff you're facing in elementary school. Yeah. Like, what you want to validate like? what your yes. kids are thinking. Absolutely, because yeah. it is a different day and time. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, this is, this is uh, you know, there were some of these that I thought were really powerful. I mean, they're all powerful, but some of the things we just haven't talked a lot on Dadville, so I was excited to ask you about this next question. Uh, they say, my son is adopted. So his story starts with trauma. Uh, would love to hear you talk about a chance uh, or talk about open adoption and the important important slash implications of a child knowing his story, even if it begins with trauma. How important is it for me as a dad to tell him about his story? How can I help him navigate the hard part of a broken beginning? Mm. That's a great question. That's a great question. And I wish I had, I have two colleagues uh, in my practice at Daystar who are both, um, TBRI trained, they've done some really extensive work in this space of working with families who foster, who adopt domestically and internationally. And I think if both of them were here right now, they would recommend to any parent who's not yet discovered an amazing resource called The Connected Child that was written by Dr. Karen Purvis, who we lost several years ago, but has done some groundbreaking work in this space and would speak much more uh, comprehensively to that question than I ever could, but I would so recommend that book. Mm. As, as and, and the way she even explores the journey of parenting when that's been a, a child's early history or there's been disrupted attachment, I think it's stunning work and, and greatly beneficial. And there's a lot of conferences happening around the country mm. um, that 
an amazing organization that I love called Show Hope, based out of our city here in Nashville, has mm -hmm. helped promote all over the globe, and I love that to make it as accessible to adoptive families as possible. So check out those resources. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, I think kids ask the questions they're ready to have answered all throughout development. I think they have an internal barometer that allows them to ask the questions they're ready to hear the response to. The mistake I think we make as parents is getting in front of that and wow. assuming they need information before they may be ready. And I can't tell you the number of parents who've told me over the years they were talking with their kids about something and their kids said, you know, like, can we be done talking now? Or even literally put their hands over their ears that I think is a sign that internal barometer's going off, sending <laughs> off some sirens and alarms to where we're giving information, it's back to what we've talked about already, that we may need to communicate, mm. but they may not be ready wow. to hear. Yeah. And so I would follow his questions. Mm. And there's not an exact age when it's right to communicate more about a, a child's story. I think that's different, unique to all circumstances, and I would add all kids. Mm. And so there certainly are kids who may resist that longer because they don't have the skills in place to be able to work that with that information, and that would be where, you know, my two colleagues do consultations all the time with parents in that space where they can really assess and fly over what's at play that might be getting in the way of them asking some of the questions that they need to. But I, I think that's honestly true outside of the journey of adoption for all of us, that, that we ask the questions when we're ready to hear the answers. And, and I would challenge parents to just say, pay close attention to that and that the timing of that may be very different than the timing you imagine. Wow. Or mm -hmm. even the timing you'd hoped for. Mm. Yeah, right. But they'll ask when they're ready to work with that information. Mm. I've, I've worked with kids, for example, you all whose parents divorced, and I had so much certainty that this, that this particular kid knew some of the circumstance of the divorce but was acting as if they didn't. Like I think about one kid right now. I, I know that he knows his dad had an affair, and he's not ready to ask his mom, did he wow. yet? Because he emotionally is not ready he's to work ready. with that yet. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. his mom said, I feel like he knows. And I've said, I feel like he does as well. And he's just not ready. But I believe wow. that day will come, and I think it's actually somewhat soon. And I would challenge you not to get in front of that right mm -hmm. now and let him ask that when he's ready to hear that answer that he knows because it's just going to be confirmation of what yeah. he already knows. But he's not ready to work with that yet. Wow. And I think it's good to respect that. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. My husband and I come from toxic parents, alcoholism, drug abuse, homeless dad. How do we explain to our young son why his relationship with his grandparents is different than his friends without speaking poorly of them? Mm. We don't feel comfortable with our son spending alone time with some grandparents either. Any good tips that would help us explain this situation in a loving and healthy way? Mm. Gosh, your listeners are asking some really Aren't good, yeah. important yeah. questions. They really are thoughtful questions. I would say a couple of things, you know, maybe to the question of spending time with him. Good for you for knowing that. That's kind of back to what we even talked mm -hmm. about of, applying all those rules, I would say not just unique to those circumstances, but I would say to any parent listening who has, let's just say, a hard chapter within your story involving one of your parents who is the grandparent of your children, a couple of things to keep in mind. One would be 
um, there is this great work of redemption happening in all our lives that sometimes allows parents who struggle to become amazing grandparents. Mm. And I think it's important to give them space to be that. Mm. And that their capacity to do that in that season through some change and growth and maturity may be really different than who they were capable of being as parents. And I think it's important for our kids' sake to allow that to happen and to honor that our kids could have a very different relationship with their grandparents than we had with them as parents. Yeah. Now, I would say there are some people where that growth doesn't happen. And when it doesn't, I would put good, healthy boundaries in place. And I believe there's a way that we could talk about those relationships and honor the person and be truthful and factual about the circumstances and not make them the villain in the story. Mm. And I think that feels confusing to parents. Like, how do I be truthful about these things and then not come out like the bad guy in the story? Yeah. Yeah. And so with really young kids, I think just some vague general language like, your grandfather made some bad choices when he was younger. Mm. And we can talk more about what those are when you get a little bit older, you know, mm. if they're not at a place where it's age appropriate to give them more information than that. Um, and that's why we enjoy spending time together as a family, but we're not going to do spend the nights at their house right now. Um, and I love him, and I'm excited for you to love him too. And he's aware because we talked about that. We kind of take on the responsibility of working through the hard stuff of that so that our kids aren't left in that space. of I'm not exactly sure why my mom and dad won't let me do that. The kids just don't ever obviously need to be put in that middle Mm. space of negotiating those terms. But I think there's a way where we can talk about that with kids that doesn't make that person the villain in the story. Now, I would say if you find that's difficult to do, then it may be that there's some – additional work kind of back to what we talked about that I need to do to move that out of the way to create more access for my kids to have a relationship that they may need right that's connected to this person that's really hard for me mm-hmm. I'm not at all recommending you would ever put your kids in the way of safety for a parent who's still active and I'm such an advocate of having healthy boundaries in place to protect them or shield them from you know something that's not age appropriate at that point but Again, we just kind of keep coming back to this theme of I've got to pay a lot of attention to where some of that might be more about me yep, yep. than it is about what's going on in that relationship with my yep. kids. Um, but I think that kind of general language, back to the statement about letting kids ask questions, I found that almost every kid will come to a place where they're ready to ask more. Like, why does my grandfather do that? You know, or... I think as kids move deeper in adolescence, when we come up against the holidays, you know, and we're spending time, they start to observe things they couldn't see as kids and start to ask really thoughtful, intuitive questions that, again, if we're following their lead, they're obviously cueing us that they're ready. And we can say, you know what, you're older now. I'm not surprised you're asking that. And let's talk about more about that. You are picking up on something important. I think it's important to honor that intuition with kids too. That, yeah. And 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 that's that's so true. That's something I see so much with mine. Is kids even at young ages are so intu- naturally intuitive, even if they don't know why it feels weird. It feels weird. Yes. When yeah. we see granddad, it feels weird. Yes. Daddy gets real quiet. Mom talks a lot. Right. And we only right. see him for thirty minutes. Yes. There's yeah. uh, so I think I love what you said because I do think one of the great gifts God 
gave all of us is this crazy natural intuition for how things feel a lot of times. And I think to your point in being able to address that, even in general ways, by, is affirming to a kid who's already going, I kind of know something's weird. Yes. Well, what if we just never see my granddad and my friend see their granddad? Just level one, I'm going, well, that's that doesn't feel normal. Mm-hmm. And so to your point, to even just give them some introductory, you know, very basic, you know, well, dad made, you know, granddad made some bad decisions. And so even then that's like, okay, well now I have a little bit, cause I can tell something's wrong. Even at three years old, five, four years old, five years old, there's some internal thing in all of us, even at those ages, I think where they can go like, this is a little weird. I don't know why it's weird, but it's weird. So even to give them some really introductory, yes. you know, reasoning, has got to be helpful that they, their little brains can go, oh, okay. I mean, I'll understand it, but at least I'm affirmed in knowing this isn't a, normal thing you know well and i think on the flip side of that when we don't give them enough information we're in some way and they pick up on it we're in some ways training them not to listen to their intuition like they're reading something going on i'm asking my and they're like everything's fine but yet they notice you're really tense and irritable around your parents yeah we're not honoring that so it isn't that it's training them to be like yeah don't listen to that intuition because it's wrong at this point as opposed to I would argue we're in safer space when we are operating from the posture that kids have their thumb on the pulse of a family way more than yes. we give them credit yeah. Man, for. Man, that's a good word. That is a yes. great place to land 100% of the time. And on occasion, we might be off, and that's okay. <laughs> but generally speaking, yeah. I think they do. Well, there was nothing There was nothing more convicting. I mean, this is a little bit of a different – this is an aside a little bit. But when our kids, especially our daughter – and Ben did this too, but – when Annie and I would be like in a fight and man, the first time they would go, and I'll never forget these moments. Like Xana and Bid both did this thing. Daddy, why are you doing this with your face? And they'd replicate my face. And I was like, you're doing that with your face. You don't know how hard this is, you know, but like you realize, and they would just stare like, you know, we'd be a little tense and daddy, what, why are you doing that? Why mama, why are you got your arms like this? And I'd be like, yeah, mom, why do you have your arms like that? Um, but they're man, <laughs> what they are downloading in real time is just yes. astounding. Oh, yeah, yeah. You I, know, I, I can't remember if I share this with you all the first time we talked or not. Stop me if I have, but I have a vivid memory of when my twin boys were six and my wife and I were having a conversation in the kitchen, and it got a little animated. We weren't yelling, but yeah. our, you know, we were elevated. And to your very point, he was one of my sons was picking up on it, and mid dinner. My wife was at the counter. I was standing oh. kind of in the doorway, and he got <laughs> up from the table, walked across the kitchen, and just hugged her, oh. and then went and sat back down. And I remember we both just went silent. Mm. Like, he said nothing, but he got up from the table, walked across, and had this sense, like, I should comfort her right now. Wow. Because that so guy sweet. over there is being really loud. <laughs> <laughs> Feels a little bit mean toward my mom. He comes and over I and rem- just kicks you in the shin. <laughs> and I remember. And then hugs your wife. <laughs> it silenced me. Jeez. And it felt like such hard evidence of that. Like, he's so little and he's picking up on something feels different in the room right now. Yeah. And I need to comfort someone. And she's my favorite. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, this guy we can live with yes. without. Dave. Dave, where are you? <laughs> oh, sorry, I had to run over. I we got to do ads. I, know, I forgot. I forgot. That's my bad. Okay, okay, tell him. Can you calm down? 
Yeah, I can't. I can't calm down can't because I'm so excited to tell everybody about the newest podcast from the That, that Sounds, Sounds Fun, Fun Network. Network. Here we go, Ben tell Higgins. I'm going to tell him. Formerly of season 20 of ABC's hit series The Bachelor. And what are they, John? People, if it's not every day, it's at least every, every other day. Every other day. They, they say, us. John and yep. Dave, why weren't y'all on The Bachelor mm-hmm. before you got married? And I, we just had things going on. I was so busy back then. That pizza also, wasn't going to eat itself. <laughs> and I'm not that attractive. So it doesn't, okay, it doesn't fit their demographics. I'm digressing. Listen, he is one of the best known of the series hosts. He has used his social media as a platform to show what he's most passionate about. Ben cares about his faith, his hope for humanity, and his love of sports. And now he started his own podcast called Hope Still Wins. It sounds like Ben would fit in really well here in Dadville, Johnny. I thought the same thing, you know. But our listeners, they're in for a real treat when they listen to Hope Still Wins podcast. Please join host Ben Higgins as he sits down with influential thought leaders to discuss a wide variety of topics. Like faith and music or mental health and racial injustice, there's really nothing off limits in his show. He isn't afraid to tackle the big questions alongside his impressive list of guests. All of which share personal stories that have shaped them into the men and women that they are today and ultimately given them their perspective on hope. Each episode answering the question, does hope still win? Why or why not? These stories exist to inspire, serve, and connect us all and hopefully create a better and more hope-filled world together. Dave and I invite you to subscribe and follow wherever you listen to podcasts and join the community on Instagram at Hope Still Wins. Episodes are released every Tuesday. I know we'll be listening to Hope Still Wins, and you should too. Amy and I have been kind of intentional about, about you know, when we do have a, an animated discussion. You know, I think there's part of us, uh, maybe it's because of, you know, way we the way we were raised or what we saw or whatever, is, is to like, well, let's go in the door, or let's go in the room, shut the door, you know, have this conversation so they don't have to see us get in a fight. But I'm I'm more so of the mind. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Let I want them to not only know that we fight, but I want them to see the whole arc of it. You know, like uh, we don't like bring them in the room and have them watch. But like I want us to have this discussion. In a way, it's kind of like, you know, if the kids are around, that's good. So we're not going to say anything. That kind of keeps us on the on the uh, it keeps the train on the track and then i want them to see us you know a few minutes later it's resolved and now we're back and so that says to them like th- like disagreements confrontation is not bad yes and and we don't have to this is a particular issue in our in our house with with one of our daughters just because like let's say daddy was wrong hypothetically let's say i was the one i appreciate you saying yeah. that let me give me a second to wrap my head around that for a minute before I keep going with my hypothetical <laughs> scenario. Let's say I'm wrong. I want my daughters to see that I can apologize and then we can be back. Yes. And I don't have to be shamed for a couple hours and then come back. That that's an unnecessary step that that quite frankly I might default to. But I want to I want my daughters I want I want to shed that generationally i don't want them to see that modeled you know what's your thoughts on that oh i think it's great and a gift and i don't Mm -hmm. think kids get to sit front row to enough of that and how we could show them model for them this is what it looks like when two grown-ups who love each other and are committed to each other disagree about something yeah and care about each other enough 
to circle back, you know, however mm-hmm. we might want to finish that. Right. That very story I just shared, I went back to my son that night at, at bedtime to do a version of that with him. Like, I noticed that you noticed mm-hmm. um, that mom and I were having a disagreement about something. That mom I was wrong and needed to be comforted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How powerful exactly. that and then you hugged her exactly. and then you high five yes. him and y'all yes. wink and you leave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you know, with with boys a lot of times who pick up on those things, I will frame that gift like a superhero power. I will say, like, wow. you have a spidey sense, don't you? Like you pick you know how Spider Man picks up on things that other people don't notice. Name that strength yeah. with kids, boys and girls. Again, honoring that intuition, like God put that inside of you. That's incredible that mm-hmm. you use it in that way that you notice those things and that something in you felt like you needed to walk across the room and give your mom a hug. I think that's mm. incredible. And I think that's who I remember just wanting to call out the strength of that then and in the future. Like I think that's something God is going to use in your life always. Mm. And you're going to comfort people when you notice they need comfort. Mm-hmm. Wow. And also speaking to your question, you know, what is still true is that mom and I love each, love each other so much, yeah. you know, and then we yeah. d- disagree sometimes. And yeah. I want to learn better, like, on my part, if I need to apologize, which I did. Like, I want to learn better how to disagree with respect, which, mm. yeah. again, it's not something I think kids get to sit front row to enough in this yeah. world. Right. That's beautiful. Different ideas. Yep. And love and care for somebody and respect that in my own home and outside of my home. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, okay, a couple more questions. This one is kind of a um, – I'm wrapping a couple into one because they sort of ask the same question. Um, this one, uh, someone sent in, my children are losing their grandfather right now. We're getting in the car. This is a couple weeks ago um, when they sent this. But we're getting in the car to drive to Georgia and say goodbye in 30 minutes. Any advice on how to help them grieve in a healthy way? They're 13, 11, and 6, and this is their first major loss. And another question, which is kind of the same question as someone else sent, sent was – uh, what's the way to help a child through grief? Hmm. I would first say that I think preparing our kids for loss is one of the greater tasks of, of parenting, one of the most important things we can do. I mean, all three of us know, the older we get, like, it's inevitable. It's going to be more and more and more yeah. loss. And mm-hmm. so... If I remind myself of that, then my objective becomes how do I prepare kids for what they'll face all throughout their life as opposed to how do we avoid that? And I would um, say that first and most. I would secondly say use it as uh, an opportunity that's been given, a painful opportunity that's been given to help your kids develop more emotionally. Mm. And so I I wouldn't shy away from talking openly about what you're experiencing in your own grief and sadness. Now, obviously, this quick disclaimer, you know, there's a balance there. If we don't want to turn our kids into our therapists or that they're carrying mm-hmm. the weight of sadness that's right. beyond what they need <laughs> right, to be carrying. Right, for sure. But I think we go too far the other direction. We try to shut all that off. Mm. You know, I, I want to cry in front of them. That's the last thing they need right now. And I'm like, no, mm. actually, they do need to see that. They mm. need to see the grownups they trust the most in this yeah. world grieving when they lose people they love Mm. and that this is what it looks like even if it's sobbing uncontrollably you know yeah um i vividly remember crying the hardest i've ever cried in front of my children standing around my mom's bed three days before she died of cancer Mm. and thinking 
um, they'd never seen me like that. They'd seen me weep a lot. They'd never seen anything like mm-hmm. that. And that's exactly how it should have looked because mm-hmm. my mom's one of the most important people in my yeah. world. And this is what it looks like to lose one of the most important people in your world. And, and so, and I think it invites kids into their own grief on mm-hmm. behalf of that person because yeah. again, they get to see it on the grownups. They trust the most. So don't, don't uh, move away from that. I would say move into it would be my challenge. Well, you know, the yeah. beauty of what you said, too, is that it shows them your humanity, yes. which is always unnerving because yes. there's a little bit of, like, superhero dad that cries, but it's also really beautiful, obviously, because they see, like, oh, yeah, like, he's a human. The the um, I remember listening to a podcast my sister sent me that was this really great um, couple that kind of, they, they talked about, trauma and and they said i thought this was fascinating they said you know what we've seen and what studies have shown is that kids can basically make it through any kind of trauma as long as someone is sitting with them and constantly asking them how they're doing like their ability to synthesize in their brain physically the events and the trauma is so much uh it works in the correct way quote unquote as long as someone is checking in with them in that season and Absolutely. going, how are you feeling? Talk to me about it. So that they can synthesize the thoughts into sort of its natural place as opposed to having them hold it. In you are 100% correct. Which blew my mind. They were like, it, they, they said, you know, we've seen so many children through seasons like this and you'd be amazed at what they can go through as long as, to your point, David, someone is sitting there going like, hey, let's lean into this. Yeah. How are you and tell me how you're feeling? How is this making you feel? Let's cry together. Let's, I'll sit with you while you cry as opposed to going like, hey, let's kind of, that's enough. Let's be strong and we move mm-hmm. on, you know. Well, and can I even say something to any single parents listening? Mm-hmm. Like what the research also tells us in that space is that as long as kids have one trusted adult, hmm. just one, if you've got two, that's extra. But all you need is one, one mm-hmm. trusted adult to navigate trauma, to navigate loss. We could run down a long list of things. And so for any single parent listening, like I, I want you to hear me say that like that's all that is needed and and their capacity to experience all the things they're going to experience within that is intact as long as there's one safe adult wow amazing amazing yeah my my daughters say that to me a lot they're just like dad just just again just a reminder we only need one (laughs) trusted adult and we love mommy (laughs) we appreciate your strength physical strength (laughs) like you know, you keep the yard tidy. You're, we appreciate and can see that you're do, do, working as hard as you can with what God gave you. And it's really sweet. It's, it's so sweet. Oh, my God. It's, it's adorable. So sweet. Look at you. Oh Look at you out there with your little lawn equipment. Okay. And this is why I love to be invited back again and again. With your little lawn equipment. With your little mower. Oh, so cute. All right. Uh, Quote, I am not a dad, but a teacher of small children. Mm. This year, I have more students coming from single dad homes than single mom. Does this impact them differently than if they only lived with their mom? And how do I help them process feeling unwanted by their absent parents? Jeez Louise. Mm. Can I just say, I, <laughs> if I was getting these questions, oh. I mean, I'd be like, good night. How do you deal with this? Mm. Yeah, that's... That said, uh, we can't help you in any way, and that is the question. Mm. So. <laughs> well, 
it's it's probably great we just answer the question yeah. we did to mm-hmm. to be reminded of the one person. I would say I do think it's important. Well, let me back up one step and just say to this person, ask him. So grateful for what you mm-hmm. do. I'm married to an educator, and I think if anything comes from this pandemic, we've gotten this really great, rich reminder that they are true heroes, aren't they? Amen. Amen. We've Amen. always known it, um, yeah, but yeah. it's been reminded on a whole new level. And so thank you for the work you do. And don't dismiss the significance of your voice mm-hmm. and that every adult I know could point to at least one teacher that had a profound impact mm, somewhere yeah. from preschool all the way to college. Like every adult I know could mm. identify at least yeah. one, if not several. And so I would challenge this uh, great man asking to say, like, give a lot of space back to what we even talked about, about, you know, helping kids develop emotionally <coughs> for them to talk about missing the other person. I think we feel scared sometimes, like, if I do too much of that, who knows what I might unleash? Or they could start swimming in an overwhelming amount of sadness. They could, and you could be present with them while they do and talking about missing that other parent. But what a gift that they would feel the freedom. Mm-hmm. Because in that, you know, with, with young kids, you know, I am sitting with more parents than any other time in my work. Like early in my work, I could have counted on several fingers how many families I was working with who divorced when their kids were five and under and it's happening all the time now so Mm -hmm. younger and younger kids are experiencing separation of marriage early on and in those earlier pockets of development kids have a heightened need for sameness and structure so it is I mean we need to acknowledge what's true it's highly disrupt it's disruptive in all seasons of development to go back and forth between homes it's highly disruptive in that season and so inevitably they're going to be struggling with a lot emotionally and missing the person they don't have access to or even just aren't with. Yeah, It's just harder in that space developmentally. So I just would give a lot of room for that. I love how many teachers have, you know, what's called like a calm corner or a peace place in their classroom mm-hmm. where kids can go for a few minutes. I have a kindergarten teacher I consult with and she has one in her classroom and it's like a day bed she put in the back corner and she's like, says on the first day of kindergarten, you're going to have so many feelings this year. Kindergarten is such a big deal. If you are just really missing your parent and you just need to go back in the, to the peace mm-hmm. place for a few minutes and just be sad, you feel free to do that whenever you need to. God, I wish they had that in co-writes. <laughs> I wish that when I start my day and I walk in, somebody's like, hey, you could feel a lot of things. If you just need to go yes. right. lay in the corner over there. Listen. Well, could, you would just need to we have work multiple calm-down corners because you would just... Each could be in you your imagine, corner the whole like, time. Like as an adult walking <laughs> in your business and like, hey, listen, I would be like, I will work for you forever. <laughs> we could work on that space before I leave <laughs> Tell today. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that is remarkable. What a, what a, what a wise thing. Yes, that's amazing. Giving kids so much space and permission yeah. to feel worried, to feel sad, to feel so many things. And it's like, here's where you go. She has one of those old school hourglasses with sand and it's a oh, minute yeah, long yeah. and they turn it over and they know they can just be in that space for mm-hmm. a minute and and then could go up and say I might need one more minute all right that's all right and turn it back over at this point and they all get to bring a stuffed animal to school the first three weeks and it's like golly I love all that you're doing to help kids develop emotionally in that space so I would challenge this person to even think about some of those things that gives space and permission to feel all those all those things what I love, I love two things about that. One, 
and I feel like there is a, a general theme uh, lately of of embracing your emotion, and while also not you know recognizing that we aren't that emotion. You know, we talked about that in the last mm -hmm. episode, um, but not running from them and just embracing them. And you know, sadness is okay, yeah. and you can't avoid it. Just embrace it. Also, what I love about the teacher that you're talking about is that that one minute thing, the power of one minute is amazing. It it's is. amazing what you can do in setting a timer like on my iPhone for one minute when I'm sitting at my studio and just like closing my eyes and counting yes. my breath for yes. one minute is amazing. You know, there's there's an unbelievable amount of science around that. You know, it's one of the reasons I think Apple folded you know, the breath app onto our phones and watches, you know, that it's just this gentle reminder I get all throughout the day, like just take one minute, yeah. just breathe. Mm -hmm. We were talking, I think, before we hit record about gratitude, and I have a lot of kids, um, even kids who don't have their own phone or iPad, they're too young, have them set this up on their parents' device, create a gratitude album, an iPhoto on your parents' device, and just dump photos of people, mm. places, experiences that you love, and take one minute a day and just swipe oh, wow. through and look at those people. Like it just, you and I were talking about an app that's helping you mm -hmm. do this day right now. Yeah. And it's just like gratitude, there's science behind it. It resets our brains. And it's like, if I just take a minute when I'm swimming in a lot of whatever and just reset myself, um, it's, it's amazing. Mm. It's amazing what that process can do. And so that's a, a great way when it's difficult for me to maybe just get there on my own to have some visual cues that I can just kind of swipe through and take a look at that. I've adolescents who, you know, told me like, I'm doing it all the time. Like, <laughs> had a guy who said, I was a wreck when I pulled up to this girl's house to ask her to homecoming. And I just swiped through some photos. So, you know, it's kind of settled me. You know, there's this great passage in Philippians 4 in, in the message that talks about this language I love of, you know, that it will help settle you down, how the peace of Christ can settle you down. And I love that language of settle you down. And I, Often we'll ask kids and families, like, what are the things that settle you down? Like, let's work through a list of those things that allow you to experience that peace in a way that's meaningful and can change you in the harder moments of yeah. life. Man. Yeah. The, um, okay, last last sort of moment here. Would We spoke to this a little bit with this last question. We're talking about single parents. But, you know, before, before we let you go, I think it'd be um, so helpful to hear you speak to any single parents that are listening to this, like any encouragement, wisdom, you know, that you can give to them sort of um, here as this last moment, is there anything you'd want to say to them, anything that would be that you think about when you think about the plight and what they're doing? Well, because I started the work at six, you know, I've been doing it for a long time, <laughs> decades so long. now. So long. Though I'm still so years. young. And Fifteen so years. Yes. It's amazing. What is so rewarding about having done this work for 25 years now is that I have seen kids move all the way through the span of development. You know, mm. I, I have kids who come back to me for a parent consultation now about <laughs> their own kids who I saw as middle schoolers. Like it That's is, amazing. It, I had an appointment two weeks ago, and I before I got started, I just looked at this. He's a man now. I was about to say this kid, he... I looked at him and I just said, I have to tell you, it's just, it's surreal to sit with you. I mean, I, I can remember you sitting in that exact same space when you were in the throes of adolescence. And I share that to say, 
he was one of many kids I've had the privilege of knowing who was raised by a single parent and is a remarkable human being, husband, mm-hmm. father, and it's beautiful to know all of the all of his story and to see the redemptive work of God in his life and all our lives and to watch it play out specifically in the context of his fathering to have yeah. known his story well enough to know what he did not get that he so desperately wanted from his own dad that he is now offering to his own children it's stunning to watch and that's but one of at this point hundreds of stories i could tell of remarkable students i've known who've been raised by extraordinary single parents um who many of them i've had the privilege of seeing become great parents themselves mm. and so I'd, I just would want to encourage any parent listening. I think it is so easy to get lost in a lot of that information that's floating around about all the extra vulnerabilities that exist for those kids that mm. I think could create so much hopelessness for any parent reading those things. And I just would want to push against that and saying, you know, those kids who get great support and those kids who are connected to the kinds of safe adults we've been talking about, in my experience, grow up to be extraordinary human beings. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow. So I've loved that I've had the, the chance to sit front row to that. I really do. God, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. David, you're the man. This Thank you so, so grateful to be with you guys. Thank you for being so smart. <laughs> <laughs> and that, uh, Alex, I'll take question things that have never been said to Dave Barnes for 100 <laughs> um, on the front row. <laughs> Thanks for letting me be the first and only third guest (laughs) part of Dadville. Like, just to have, and that you all brought the press this morning. That's Good Morning America was insane. Well, you handled it so well. Well, I can't believe how quiet they've been. Because there's 200, 300 photographers here. Yeah, it's insane. You wouldn't know it, would you? I know. So many countries represented. (laughs) Um, No, thank you. It is, I mean, I think everybody that listens to these, if, if, by no other way, just showing how many people sending questions, knowing it was going to be you. I think it's, um, you know, it's so powerful what y'all do yeah. and what you're doing. And it's really crazy to see how much you know. I know you know that, but I think just sitting, listening to you talk, I'm like, it's just amazing how much wisdom you've gathered from the time that you've done it. That's so helpful. And, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that I think you say the most that I'm always, it's such a pro thing, I know, but it's also so true for how you address everyone is you're always so affirming first. And mm-hmm. I think that's always so helpful as a parent. Yeah, is to, very to, I find encouraging. The thing you, and I know you know you do this, but you always say, listen, this is normal first. Yeah. Like, it's going to be okay. You know, this is not something that... And I think that is, man, if there is just one thing every parent wants to hear is that <laughs> this is something we know what's happening. Like, we have a grid for this, and we can help you with it. Right. And this is how, you know, to, to navigate this. So... I'm just so thankful. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. A huge check is going to be coming in the mail. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, now it is to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> I should say, should have said that. And it has expired. But it's laminated. So, <laughs> so we do what we can do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>